Financial planning and security can sometimes be seen as a moving target. The rules change constantly, and you need guidance to stay ahead of the market moves. This is the Labenthal Report with Michael Hartzman and Dominic Tavella, with additional insight from industry veteran Jordan Kimmel. We'll break down the news, trends, and overall direction of the markets, telling you what may be coming next, investment opportunities, and what to avoid. Now, here are your hosts, Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman. Good evening, everybody. I am Michael Hartzman, along with my partner, Dominic Tavella. Today is Tuesday, February 9th, and we're broadcasting to you with for you tonight from Long Island, New York, as always. And Dominic, happy National Pizza Day. Wow. I, I don't think I actually knew that, Mike, until uh, you just brought it up, but uh, maybe just sheer coincidence, but I did my fair share today and made sure I paid homage to the uh, one of the great American uh, side dishes. So Absolutely. I don't know if it's a side dish. I don't know if it's a side dish, but um, being from Brooklyn, I prefer my pizza, flat crust, keep it simple. I don't eat pineapple or peppers or buffalo wings on it. I just like my pizza the way it was meant to be made. Um, I'll never turn it down, but I, I, well, some of the creative ones can be pretty good. So I'll partake uh, and give it a shot. At least one. All right. Well, in, in, enjoy your pizza tonight. And, um, you know, thankfully, we, we compared to the last couple of weeks, we had a relatively uh, quiet week in the market. Um, the market definitely bounced back. Last week, the Dow Jones was up about 4%, a little less, 3.89. The S&P was up over 4.6. And the NASDAQ was up actually over 7, 7.7. So, you know, this market continues to um, defy gravity and, um, you know, we, we just keep kind of rolling along and the market continues to continue to look forward. Look so, ahead. You know, a, a week ago, Mike, we were sitting here and the market had a negative week. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so uh, we were coming off a, of a week where um, for the year now, uh, certainly the Dow and the S&P had turned negative. Uh, our clients had actually watched their total return for the year disappear. And we had the S&P down, what, one, almost 2% for the year. And then in a, in a flip of a switch last, year, last week, the markets uh, gave us the performance that you just rattled off and turned positive and very nicely positive, setting uh, new highs this week. So it's ironic that if you if you close your eyes on January 1st and, and open them today, you go, hey, well, we're having a pretty nice year. But yeah. we've had a little, 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 little volatility in between. And what, what else is new, right, Mike? Uh, the ups and downs, and as we love to describe them, the, the roller coaster ride. Yeah, you know, and, and, and thank God the media is fixed on something else this week than in our business. Because as we pointed out the last show, when we're, we're the lead story, it's never for a good reason. So um, sometimes I'm grateful for the media's short, short attention span. So uh, they've moved on to uh, conquer other stories and, and left, left us alone in the past week. And lo and behold, we had a good week. 
Yeah, and, and look, uh, we actually brought this up on last week's uh, show, Mike, that, and I think it's good for us to just touch on it a moment today, that uh, we thought the correction, the decline in the markets the prior week were due to all the speculation and noise, and we don't even want to say the word out loud, um, but we thought that was a perfect buying opportunity. We did take some of our uh, liquid funds and, and get into equities at and uh, at least for now, we've been rewarded for that. So we were able to get past that headline that scared a lot of people, put a lot of pressure in the markets, a lot of selling going on, use that as an opportunity. And, and at least for now, that looked like uh, that was good on our part. We were, we were fortunate in, in that trade for now. Yeah. And I think the other thing that's giving the, the market a little bit of confidence, and again, this is a recurring story, thank God, because forgetting the market, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a human it's a human story. It's it's a humanitarian story. The COVID case numbers are really, really dropping rapidly. Um, from the peak, the daily cases have dropped 60%, which is, you know, which is really remarkable. And 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 the hospitalization rate from the peak is down 33%. So hopefully, you know, most of the country, if not all of the country, is is getting the idea that 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 until the vaccine is really everywhere. You know, the three basic tenets we keep talking about, wearing a mask, wash your hands, social distance. Hopefully it's working and hopefully people are getting the message. Yeah, Mike, it's amazing how uh, most of this stuff in the end just ends up being common sense. We knew that once we got through the holidays, the Christmas holidays, the new year celebrations, that there would have to be a spike uh, people were together. They were in closed quarters, obviously being the winter time. And uh, we sure enough, within 30 days, we got that spike. And now that uh, the clustering is not happening, um, the, the, the numbers have rolled down. And it's a clear as black and white that keep be careful, wash your hands, wear the, the mask, for God's sakes, and, and there's no harm to it. And maybe we can get through the stage where as more and more and more of the vaccine comes into the mainstream, uh, we can uh, protect, especially our elderly uh, uh, clients and, and friends and family, um, we can get through this crisis. So um, doesn't take an awful lot, a lot, lot of common sense, and hopefully we all get through this. Yeah, but the thing you're right, and I agree, and 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 we're probably I would say in the middle of the dead of winter, but there's you know hope springs eternal, and spring training springs eternal, and spring training starts next week. So for me, that was always the the start of the beginning of the end of winter, um, and and hopefully you know we we get through these next few weeks, the weather starts to get a little warmer. And, and we've gotten past the worst part of this. So, so let's take that thought, Mike, and tie it back to uh, the stock market and the economy. And as we brought up many times before, the consumer represents between 60 and 70% of the economy, the economic mm -hmm. growth. So we all know we've all been shuttered in for the last 12 months. We haven't, even if we wanted to, we've been very limited in how, where, when we can spend 
money. So overall, the consumer has a, a tremendous amount of cash sitting on the sidelines and just itching to go out there and spend that money. So as they do, and we've talked about this, not as a light switch on and off, but a dimmer switch, as the lights start coming back on, as people get vaccinated and springtime comes along and they get outdoors and start spending money again, so will the revival of our economy. Um, and that's been proven many, many times over and over again. So we think, and I think partially that's why the market has been positive so far, we think the economy starts to reopen towards the end of the second quarter and really gains momentum into the third and fourth quarter. So we have that to look forward to. Yes, we do. And, and, and another one of the favorite expressions that we have on Wall Street you know, is, is the black swan event, right? What, what black swan can happen to derail that optimism. And, and, you know, right now, obviously, it could be the, the mutation of this virus and the variants of this virus, or, or God forbid, you know, the vaccine doesn't work on these, on these, on these mutations. So, but, but hopefully that stays under control. And, and hopefully we, as you said, second half of the year, we can really start to get back to normal, um, get to herd immunity, and um, you know, start going back to stadiums and restaurants and all the things that we enjoy. And so, uh, I'm sure you get it as well, Mike. Uh, you know, when clients look at uh, the way their portfolios are allocated, and they're like, Dom, Mike, if you're so optimistic about the longer-term prospects, why do we have a little dry powder on the side? Why are we being somewhat, and I don't think overly cautious at this point, but certainly we're not we're not betting the farm, right, Mike? Right. So, um, and it's because, look, as much as you can sit here and, and say there's a solid argument for economic growth and things being better tomorrow than they are today, there are still quite a few unknowns out there, right, Mike? And you, you brought up a, a significant one. This, this virus can mutate and has mutated. We, we hope uh, that the vaccines currently work. Um, but there is a possibility here of, of a stumbling um, which might take longer for the economy to open. We just need to be prepared, right? We just need to be prepared for that. Yeah, yeah. And 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 the other thing that we hear constantly is kind of the flip side of that: is are we in a bubble? Is the market too frothy? Um, what are you going to do to to protect me? Are, are are we are we too are we too optimistic? So, so I'm, I'm a kind of a numbers guy. I get a little wonky with that. Sorry, Mike and, and our, our viewers. But um, when we came into this year, earnings on the S&P 500 were expected to be somewhere around $175. So that's all the companies in the S&P 500. Um, and, and some people said that number was probably optimistic. Um, and so based on where the S&P is today, you would say and make a really valid argument that the S&P today is overvalued. Stocks mm -hmm. are too expensive. But we're starting to already catch rumblings. Uh, the majority of the companies that have reported so far this year, Mike, are not only have showed better earnings, growth uh, prospects, uh, uh, but an average of 18% above uh, analyst expectations. And we're starting to get rumblings that we could see uh, $200 uh, uh, in earnings for the S&P 500, which brings our valuation number more in line, still elevated, but more in line to a reasonable number. 
Um, so I think uh, the prospects for hitting that are pretty good. And there are those certainly on Wall Street that think that number itself, the $200 in earnings might be conservative. So we can look at this, the glass half full, half empty, but frankly, first quarter so far, pretty good. You know, and so so to to that point, Jordan has a guest in our last segment who's who's a risk analyst expert. So we'll get a chance to ask him his opinion on on risk and, and where we are right now. And then and then our guest coming up is uh, Greg Serby, who's um, managing director of the Labenthal um, suite of funds. He's like a first cousin to us. Um, and, um, and munis is a, is a subject that's near and dear to both of our hearts, because we always say, if we could have every client, you know, have, have a, a decent amount of munis in their portfolio, they could sleep at night, we could sleep at night, and it really be a job well done. It gives them protection, it, it gives them tax-free income. So I'm really interested to hear Greg's take on, on munis in our, in our next segment. Uh, really looking forward to this segment, Mike. Uh, as you know, most of our clients, though, we run balanced portfolios. The Labenthal Diversified Portfolios are balanced, fixed income, and equities. And we're a big fan of munis right now. And I hope uh, Greg doesn't say anything to uh, change our opinion on that subject. Yeah, and the, you know, and the mystery to me with munis, with with, with munis, is on the one camp. You have, well, interest rates are so low, they're eventually going to go up and, and the muni values are going to get clobbered. But then the other camp says, but there's a Democrat in the White House, he's going to raise taxes. So there's going to be money flying into munis. So there is this push pull in the muni sector right now, which I'm really, um, you know, hopefully Greg could clear up for us and, and his take on that. And, and from my perspective, and I, I don't want to steal his thunder, but the credit quality, if states are in financial trouble, do we really want to buy their bonds? And so I think uh, Greg's going to do a great job of uh, bringing us and the rest of our uh, viewers up to speed on why this should be part, hopefully this should be part of any good balanced portfolio. Oh, yeah. Credit quality. Oh, by the way, you know, 50 states in the union happen to be hurting because of the pandemic and, 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 and you know, property tax and business tax and all, all the places went out of business. So, yeah, there's a lot to discuss. And we will be back right after this break. Financial planning and security can sometimes be seen as a moving target. The rules change constantly, and you need guidance to stay ahead of the market moves. This is the Labenthal Report with Michael Hartzman and Dominic Tavella. We'll break down the news, trends, and overall direction of the markets. Now, back to the Labenthal Report. All right, I'm Michael Hartzman along with Dominic Tavella, and we're back with our guest, Greg Serby, who's a Senior Managing Director of the Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Bond Fund and also Labenthal Suite of SMAs. And Greg, I mentioned briefly as we were heading into the break that you're kind of like a first cousin to us because we both use the Labenthal name. Why don't you spend a minute just explaining your, your legacy with Labenthal? Oh, absolutely glad to. I joined Labenthal way back and uh, was in the original firm, uh, managed the uh, mutual funds that they had, uh, managed the separately managed accounts, um, some of whom I'm sure everybody out there still remembers, God bless them, Jim Labenthal's ads. 
the firm was then uh, acquired by an insurance company uh, and subsequently uh, they had to restart the company. So I came back into the new company. And that's why to me, this is like uh, old home week um, because I was part of the original Labenthal and the other incantations uh, of it. Still doing Muni, still doing what I love. I started doing them many, many, many years ago. And uh, to me, it's the most fascinating market um, even though, yes, it's more exciting to talk at a cocktail party about uh, uh, buying XYZ stock and flipping it. People forget to tell you about the ABC stock that they bought high and sold low, but that's a different issue. It's another yeah, a, a story for another night. So Dom and I have a ton of questions, but Great. if I can, let me start with that yin yang that I, that if you heard me mention right, right into the break mm -hmm. about the push pull between States are hurting, interest rates are low. When interest rates go up, bonds get clobbered versus we have a Democrat in the White House, a Democrat, Democratic Congress and Senate, therefore taxes are gonna go up. So, you know, where does a muni manager go? How does a muni manager, you know, negotiate that, that landmine? Well, to me, it's not a landmine. To me, it's an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yes, the municipalities have had tough times. But let's go back to 2008, 9, 10. They laid off people. Default rate on an investment grade muni over time is less than one half of 1%. Mm -hmm. The states do what they have to do. They pull back. So they somehow managed to get through this. And to your point, both about, are we gonna see uh, perhaps more demand because of uh, tax increases? Probably. That's all good for munis. In the meantime, what do you do? How do you deal with this? You don't put all your eggs in the one basket. Instead, you have some bonds that are coming to shorter, a little bit further out, a little further out, so that if rates do go up, you have maturities. So you're going to be reaccessing the market at the new higher rates. If they don't, you're just going to continue to go along, still avoiding taxes. And I do believe, I again, no guarantees, but taxes will go up. They have to, for no other reason than just the massive deficits that uh, the government, under both presidents, the current one as well as the prior one, ran. So, yeah, but munis have a beautiful track record in that universe. Hey, um, Greg, uh, so we're, we're thinking demand is going to go up, right? Because because of all the reasons we particularly higher tax rates. But talk to me about issuance. Has the issuance kept up? new bonds coming to the market. Has that kept up with demand? Lately, it, it, we've seen actually a shortage of bonds. Some of that's typically seasonal. Uh, December 1, January 1, heavy, heavy, heavy maturities, interest rate payments flipped down to July, June, July, the same thing. Um, and a lot of municipalities just sort of sit back and wait. Also, because of all the things that are going on, their attention has been elsewhere. Supply will build up, and especially, in my opinion, because infrastructure, the needs are so dramatic that how do you finance it? And especially when you know, you're just not getting tax revenues in hand over fist, you borrow. Um, the Trans-Hudson Tunnel, that's going to cost New Jersey and New York billions, even though they're going to get a lot of federal aid, going to cost a lot of money. That's the kind of 
infrastructural investments, which are rib rock, they're good, they're solid. So it'll be coming and there'll be good bonds coming. Greg, right, right here in our home, in our hometown here in New York, has, has the death of New York City been greatly exaggerated? To answer that question, yes and no. Um, it's very sad to walk down the street and see restaurants that are closed. But on the other hand, they also now have built these little shelters out in the bus lanes. Mm -hmm. They're trying, they're, they're striving. Rents are down, everything's down, but it's still New York City. It is still, you know, Broadway will be coming back. Uh, I just got in the mail, email today, literally from the Giants. Hey, time to let us know how you want to buy your season tickets this year. So life is going to come back and with it, economics. And definitely that I, I feel very strongly about that. And New York City is in a good position, notwithstanding, as is the state notwithstanding the headlines and the headline rescue. So I'm, I'm comfortable about that. So one of the things we've really been focused on are revenue bonds. So you mentioned uh, the possible tunnel that to be built. So you think about people going over the bridges and the tunnels and every time, well, in the old days, the, the thing would go up and down, right? And it was cha-ching, cha-ching. Every time it went up and down, the city made money. So today it's all electronic, but we do expect that, that traffic as the economy opens up, which we talked about in our earlier segment, that level of activity is gonna increase and therefore revenue mm -hmm. should increase, right? Great. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that brings up sort of some of the opportunities out there. Because with all the concerns, and this has been a terrible year, you know, we can't even begin to approach sadness of over 450,000 people gone because of this. That's put a lot of pressure on sort of like you're saying, the outdoor activities schools working virtually. The spreads have widened. Right now, I'm kind of interested in the fact that just out in your neck of the woods, there's some credits that we've owned before that were tighter relative to where the best AAAs were, or the Adelphi's, um, and schools like that. They've widened out, but they're not going to go away. It's an opportunity that later on, as everything starts coming back and getting better and better, spread relationship on those securities is going to work. It's going to give us more of a cushion. Uh, so that should be rate should rates be going up. We also even have a cushion as our A-rated bonds get back to a more normal relationship to the double and triple A's. Greg, I mentioned you Matt, you run the ultra short fund, and for a lot of our audience you know, that doesn't really mean much to them, right? So could you just explain the benefit of our viewers and listeners, what, it, what, what an ultra short fund does and the goal? Okay, perfect. Um, most people have a sweep mechanism that goes into a regular money market fund. Yields are non-existent in the money market world. And that's because the Fed is keeping all the very short rates down. The ultra short fund, goes out one step further. So we're not bound by uh, you know, the rules for 2A7 funds and things like that. Instead, we can buy a one-year security. We can buy a one-and-a-half-year security. Money market fund, 
by definition has certain limits. So our yield's gonna be a little higher, but it's also gonna be very stable. We have a $10 NAV and in the worst, in the absolute worst last uh, March, when everything went wrong, we went to 9.99 and we're at 10.02 now. So it's stable and it gives more income than what a regular money market fund would do. So that's the benefit of it. You get a little extra for your money. Um, and that's basically the nature of the muni market. And that's what people want to do. Greg, just switching gears a little bit. Um, so I, I think we, from the tone in our voice, we're all pretty big fans of this sector, but there are muni municipalities in general and muni bonds we should avoid, right? Yeah, you know, part of the problem is that in the muni space, at times people reach for yield. And instead of staying investment grade, which is BAA, triple B or better, they'll go into that double B. Some of them are gonna work out, but that's where you have the biggest risks. So what we do for our individually managed clients, we use A as the floor. The idea being, if you have an A-rated bond that goes to triple B, the world doesn't end, but it gives us a chance to take a look and see what's happening. Do we keep it or do we sell it? It's defense, it's still investment grade. Uh, you know, just a little further out uh, from you guys is Suffolk County. That's now a triple B rated credit by uh, s and um, It's not gonna disappear. It's not gonna go away. And, you know, the rumblings of trying to make uh, two counties out of it and make it the Pecona County, that's not gonna happen. Suffolk County will continue. So for those clients who we might've already owned some, we're just gonna hold on. It's only got six more months to go. Uh, before they mature. So uh, again, we're very optimistic in general on the muni space, especially when you diversify, especially when you try and control what you've got. Revenue bonds, some of them are really great. What are revenue bonds? People are going to continue to uh, pay for that. This is only a couple of bucks a month, but it adds up. So we're, we're very, you know, sorry to sound so optimistic and cheerleading, but is what I've been doing for years and I love it. But Greg, this is the value of having somebody like you in the picture, right? You're looking at these bonds on an individual bond level. You're mm -hmm. looking at the credit quality. You're looking at the revenue stream and you're making a judgment call literally daily, right? Is this something yeah. we want to hold on behalf of our clients or maybe, you know what, cut our losses, get out or and try to anticipate uh, downside and get out. That's the fun of my job, uh, you know, to me, munis are the close second to treasuries. You know, I, you, we were talking about James Labenthal. He always said, we're the second best investment. And I believe that. Um, it, it allows people to keep up with their life needs. You can own some bonds. Uh, you can set aside. You've got a specific maturity. You know when it's going to come due. And so if you're planning for the college education for the children or things like that. Perfect, perfect vehicle. And it, it, it's there. Uh, it allows principal return with high, high, high degree of certainty. You know you're going to get your money back. And that's important. In the meantime, you're earning some interest. You know you're going to get your money back when you have an expert like you who's vetting the bond. 
and and making sure that they're not buying a a credit that you know is potentially going to go bankrupt. Exactly. And Greg, we've I know we're running out of time, but we've seen that, right? We saw what happened in Puerto Rico and those bonds. There is always a danger out there, right? So oh, sure. you do have to pay attention. A bond isn't just a bond, isn't just a bond, right? That's what I love about my job. That's what keeps it interesting. You know, well, thank I, you, Greg. We appreciate you coming on this evening. Stay safe. It. It's your job. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Have a great night. Thank Have a great you. Night. Thank you for Good joining job. us, Greg. Financial planning and security can sometimes be seen as a moving target. The rules change constantly, and you need guidance to stay ahead of the market moves. This is the Labenthal Report with Michael Hartzman and Dominic Tavella, with additional insight from industry veteran Jordan Kimmel. And welcome back to the Labenthal Report. It's Jordan Kimmel, the Chief Equity Strategist and Portfolio Manager here at Labenthal. And what I wanted to do is take a segment and really focus in on risk and risk management. And, you know, right now we're in an extraordinary period of time. Uh, there's some wild movement going on around the peripheries of the market and we're seeing a level of speculation that I don't think we've seen since we've seen the day trading era when say the, the financial shows were on in every restaurant and every pizza place and every deli. Uh, we're kind of getting back into that spot right now. And what I was hoping to do is, is bring on one of the legendary risk managers in the country and we'll see if we get connected to them. But at this stage of the game, what I could share with you is that it's not what you make in a bull market. Frankly, it's what you take home. And I think what happens is as certain kind of uh, animal spirits rise, people kind of lose their balance and really start to lose sense of, of, of price, of value, of, of reality, if you will. And certain things are moving around. And, and again, I am a portfolio manager who is honed in on the fundamentals of investing and not based on price momentum. And maybe what I could do is I could share here a concept of financial momentum. So people talk about momentum all the time, and I think they're really thinking about just price. But what the magnet stock selection process is really all about, and what all of the four separately managed accounts I manage um, are all about the foundation are 19 fundamental characteristics of public companies that have been researched for 30 years and, and now we have Aaron Brown joining us. And Aaron has written a, a beautiful endorsement of, of the book previously. It's good to see you there, Aaron. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jordan. So Aaron, let me share, you know, there's a lot of people love to get a, a lot of publicity. Normally the most important guy in the room is actually the risk manager. So I just want to kind of share with everybody, Aaron, was the senior risk manager at a couple of the largest firms in all of Wall Street, went a little bit uptown, if you will, north to Greenwich, became the senior risk manager of one of the largest hedge funds in the world.
But he also wrote two great books that you can get yourself and, and get some of his knowledge. One of them, the poker, the poker face of Wall Street. And that's the first book when I really met Aaron and I found out who he was. And the second one came out the Red Blooded Risk. You co-authored The Game of Chance. But I know I'm reaching you out, I think in San Diego now. So maybe you want to kind of share what you're doing these days, if you don't mind. Um, I did want to say that uh, people should read Reuben and Gabriel, Gabriel Brenner's books, not just the one he wrote with me. He is a great author. Um, I'm sheltering in place in Oceanside. Uh, I like it here because I can get a lot of exercise. I'm teaching at the University of California at San Diego, but also I'm teaching by remote back at NYU in New York. And I'm doing a bunch of various projects. Well, look, fantastic. Look, I knew you're smart. We had 20 inches of snow here last week by my house. <laughs> so you're in San Diego by the beach. We know who's the smarter guy on the, on the screen here. But Aaron, let me kind of jump into the markets themselves, because this is not the market that I grew up in. This is probably not even the market of 10 years ago. We're seeing more and more algos. The algorithms are trading. The option markets seem to be leading the stock market in some ways. Could you just take a minute to describe how different this market is uh, from the market, you know, maybe I got in the business with and maybe same with you? Yeah, I will say the stock market's pretty wild, but I also think it's a very dangerous distraction. The big surprises in 2021 are going to come from currency and fixed income markets. Wow. You know, keep an eye on gold, on Bitcoin, on interest rates, on Fed policy, uh, on U.S. government credit, state government credit, public pension plans. Those are the big news stories. Those are the big financial icebergs that can sink your ship or make you rich if you get on the right side of them uh, in 2021. Uh, the market's pretty wild and frothy. Valuations are very high. Um, um, you know, lots, millions of individual investors getting in and, and distorting uh, prices far beyond what we're used to seeing in that. It's a great time to be a pro on Wall Street. The big prop trading firms, the big uh, market makers are just make, are making 10 times as much money as they do in normal times. And to me, that says if you're not one of those people, it, it, it's a bad time to be in. As a poker player, I say it's like a, you know playing in a game with a big rake. If, if, if the casino is making 10 times as much as it usually does, chances are not very many of the players are winning. Right. Well, you know, let me just bring up here for the record, um, you're kind of dancing around something called value at risk, which you championed. And when all of the industry adopts value at risk, we know you had something there. So you mentioned outsized moves taking place. And, and maybe you want to kind of just jump into that because you did champion value at risk. And I want to make sure everyone knows that. Okay. Uh, yeah, you know, volatility, volatility is what scares people, right? Volatility is what makes the newspaper, uh, you know, things go up, things go down a lot. You know, volatility usually doesn't kill you as an investor because it's the obvious risk. So, you know, if you choose, you want to play around in GameStop stock or, or Tesla stock or, or, or even, you know, S&P 500, you, you know, you're getting a lot of volatility. Uh, you know, things are going up or down a lot. But the big things that matter are the things that people don't think are risky. So, you know, when, when you know, subprime came along and sank the economy, it was because years and years of housing prices going up with never going down. Everyone thought it was low volatility. 
Um, so I don't, you know, I assume anyone who's in the stock market today realizes how much volatility there is, especially if they're playing single stocks, especially frothy stocks. But I think there's a lot of things in your portfolio you might not have thought about too much um, that you thought were safe, you didn't have to think about. And uh, those are the things, that's what value at risk is, is designed to, uh, you know, capture the things that may not be moving up and down a lot, but actually uh, contain a lot of risk. Right. But you know what? You, you mentioned something a minute ago. I can't let it pass. Um, we all look at page one risk and, and is it this or it's that? And I let people know, hey, if it's on page one, that's really not the risk. That's probably somewhat baked into the market. But you're talking about credit risk and, and you threw out Bitcoin and some other things. Like what specifically would change like the back on your, your, your hairs on the back saying, wait a second, you know, it's okay to participate. Now I, now I actually don't want to participate something I see. So what early warning signal would you kind of see or feel that maybe we should pay attention to? Well, you, you know, those movies where somebody says it's quiet and someone <laughs> says, yeah, yeah, it's too quiet. Right. <laughs> The, the assassins are creeping up out of the jungle and that's where all the birds have flown away and you're about to get the attack. Um, yeah, look for the things that are uh, too quiet, that just haven't, you haven't seen any stories about for a while. The stuff that's in the headlines, the stuff that everybody's talking about is you say, yeah, it's baked in. People know about it. It's, uh, you know, it's obvious, it's transparent. You know where the risk is coming from. It's real risk. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong about that. It's stuff you have to consider. But it's the unexpected, it's the curveballs that uh, you know you you, you want to think about, and uh, we're we're basically going through a major currency realignment. And I would say I, I I don't exaggerate here. I think it is the historic equivalent of when the world went to a central banking gold standard in the 19th century, or when the world went to fiat currencies in 1971. I think we're seeing something that's going to be just as transformative to financial markets. I don't know how it will play out, but it will affect everything. You know, if the value of money changes, everything you measure in money changes as well. Right. And the dollar has been the store of wealth. You know, Aaron, these segments go fast. Uh, Dom and Mike are two of the principals here and they help manage uh, a bulk of the money. And I know they said, Aaron Brown, risk managers coming on. They're always trying to look around the corner. I don't know if they have any questions for you. I would jump off by asking, um, is there any one or two risks that you see investors make that they need to avoid? And we, we get Mike and Dom in here. They may want to ask something else. Let me jump, let them jump in before we run out of time. Do people, do people spend too much time focusing on the VIX? It is, is the VIX just, mad, just manufactured index? Or do you, do, you, do, you, do you put any, any credence when the VIX starts bouncing around like it did two weeks ago? Yeah, well, you, you, you probably know. The VIX is a lagging indicator, right? The, uh -huh. the, the VIX tells you what happened last week. Um, so uh, it isn't a very good leading indicator. Um, so, so basically the VIX is high when recent volatility has been high and the VIX is low when it's been low. When the VIX jumps up and it's not because things have, um, uh, you know, have been volatile in the past, it is a warning sign, but a non-specific one. It is not, it doesn't mean the market is going to get volatile. It doesn't mean it's a bad time to invest in stocks. It means something funny is going on. 
So it's something to investigate and think about, but it's not a danger sign like a flashing red light. Okay, thank you. Darren, if I can jump in real quick. So we're living in the age of index investing. And I, I don't really believe that the average investor that goes and buys the S&P 500 understands that they're actually buying all 500 stocks. And you may not want to own all 500. Not all 500 are, are great investments. And the index itself is forced to go out and buy stocks it may not necessarily like or think are prudent, but it has to, right? Can you address the index uh, risk that we're taking on right now? Yeah, I'm going to give you a schizophrenic answer. Um, yes, those are two valid reasons to not like the index and to prefer perhaps a fundamental index or, um, or, or, or some other more stable sort of index. On the other hand, it's hard to argue with the actual performance of index funds in the past. So we know all kinds of reasons why it shouldn't work, but they do work pretty well. Um, anything else you do, there are a lot of things that seem smarter and might be smarter, an equally weighted index. You know, the S&P 500 has chugged around as good as anything. So um, I don't, I, I guess my big message is don't, you know, yes, there are better indexes and better ways to think about your portfolio and, and, and alternatives to indexing with, you know, they're, they're low cost, diversified, sensible ways to get into stocks other than indexing. But don't let worry about that stop you from investing at all or send you into crazy active management with high fees. Um, you know, indexing works pretty well. It sure has. It sure has for a while and probably will continue. You know, I think we could beat the indexes, but we need to do it carefully. You know, we run up to time already, but Aaron, Thanks so much for spending the time from San Diego. Thanks so much. The, the king of risk, the head of risk on Wall Street. It's a pleasure to know you. It's a pleasure to get to spend more time with you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Jordan. Thank you. Have a good night. All righty. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back to wrap up the Labenthal Report right after this. Financial planning and security can sometimes be seen as a moving target. The rules change constantly, and you need guidance to stay ahead of the market moves. This is the Labenthal Report with Michael Hartzman and Dominic Tavella. We'll break down the news, trends, and overall direction of the markets. Now, back to the Labenthal Report. Uh, Mike, I didn't realize it until uh, we had this last commercial that we were going to spend so much time this evening on risk control and uh, volatility in our, you know, in our portfolios. So um, I thought that was a theme of the evening, um, but I didn't get it until after uh, we pretty much recorded, um, you know, the entire show. But how important is that in, in managing people's assets, right? That, yeah, we can focus all day long and this is what your portfolio made and this is how well we did, but what road did you take to get there? How much volatility, how much up and down uh, did, the, did the ride make you nauseous? And having these two guests tonight, I think was a, was a nice focus on that, that conversation. Absolutely. And, you know, I do a lot of financial plans for people and we do a lot of risk analysis for people. And that's such a critical question that I think, honestly, clients don't get asked enough by our, not our clients, but, but investors don't get asked enough by our competition. You know, how much risk are you willing to accept? How much volatility are you willing to accept? Um, and what we always point at is, especially last year, last March, 
when the market was down 38% and our, our average model was down somewhere between 11 and 18%. And I think that's when it really hit home for our clients that that's what we do. We manage their risk. We manage their, their ability to lose money in their short run. Um, I, I spend an awful lot of time trying to kind of get the client to understand it, it's not necessarily what you make, but what you can make and still sleep at night. And I know it's kind of corny about that, but, uh, and I've mentioned this line many times uh, before that everybody loves risk when the market goes up, right? Oh my God, we made so much money. The market was going up. <laughs> But I don't know very many, if any people at all, that love risk when the market goes down. And boy, that got tested last March, right? When the major indices were down 35, 40%. Um, we, were, we were fortunate, our client portfolios, uh, I think we're, we, we were very fortunate to be uh, where we were and have guessed correctly. Um, but we see it every day, Mike, new clients coming on board and they lived every single bit of that 35% loss mm -hmm. in, in last March. Oh yeah, yeah. My favorite example of that is I have one client in, in particular who um, came to me with a half a million dollars in the S&P 500 that he was literally paying Fidelity $50 a year to manage that index. And he said to me, I want you to manage the money. I don't know what I'm doing. I got lucky. I put it in the S&P 500. I didn't look at it for a few years. I'm about to retire and I need someone to look at it on a regular basis. And I said to him, I said, but I can't charge you $50. You know, you're going to pay a lot more for us to do that. He goes, I'm happy to pay, right? I'm happy to pay because when things go bad, I don't know how to steer the ship. Um, so, so we try to avoid, you know, um, whether it's, it, you know, Bitcoin's had a, a pretty good week and it's up a lot after being down a lot, after being up a lot, after being down a lot, right? So, <laughs> so, uh, so look, um, we, we, we're never going to be that. We're not speculating with people's money. We, we repeat over and over again, we're fiduciaries. We're a registered investment advisor. We literally have a fiduciary responsibility to our clients. So we're not here to get anybody rich, but we're going to try really hard to make sure no one is ever poor. Um, and the biggest part of that statement is when we go through these difficult times to be there for um, the client, hold their hands and get them through those rough patches. Right. And I think that's the value proposition that uh, uh, we bring to the table, Mike. Absolutely. All right. So on that note, um, we will be back next week at, at, at five o'clock on, on Tuesday. And um, I know there's a second slice waiting for you. So enjoy your second slice of pizza and we'll see you all soon. Everybody have a great evening and be safe. Thanks for tuning in to the Labenthal Report. Dominic, Michael, and Jordan will be back for our next program, airing next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, have a great week.